Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Hello, Till Luca here. Very excited to be with my colleague Whitney Lowe in our first episode of the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. Hey, Whitney, how you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you doing today? Excellent. You know, like I said, I'm excited. We're going to take uh, some time and actually get to know each other, we decided. we, You and I have been uh, professional colleagues for many years, but we're going to dive in, as I understand it, to ask each other some questions and get to know some of our backgrounds and how what we might be bringing to this uh, venture we're trying out. Yeah, and I'm certainly looking forward to this. As you said, we've been uh, doing all kinds of work together in the field for numerous years and had a few interesting discussions. And uh, this podcast kind of came about by us having some of these discussions and saying, hey, we should really be sharing these things with other people. And I I know for me, one of the things that was particularly interesting was kind of getting a sense of a lot of the things that we had in common in our backgrounds as well. So, um, and I'm looking forward into uh, diving into this a little bit today to to hear more more about um, where you came from, how you got into this and and where our paths are crossing again. Yeah, I agree. Uh, What do you think? Should we jump right in? Can I ask you some questions? Well, sure, yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, tell me something about what you were doing before you started doing this work. What's your background? What were your interests? How did this start for you? And what were you doing? Yeah, you know, these these are always fascinating stories with everybody, how, how people got into this field, because it is so diverse. I was actually in graduate school studying psychology back in the mid-80s, and was planning to be a, a counseling psychologist, and was quite interested in sort of the whole mind-body uh, health arena. And at that time, my ex-wife was just joining or just getting ready to start massage school. And she got going in massage school and was coming home every day telling me all the fascinating things that they were learning about uh, client-therapist relationships and you know health and integrating things and wonderful experiences that people were having. And I was still in the early stages of my graduate school program learning about rats running in mazes. And I thought, there's something really odd about this because she's doing what I really want to be doing, and they're doing this in massage school. And uh, I was uh, had always been really interested in the whole mind-body connection. And um, that kept going on for a while, and I was getting really burned out in my graduate school program. And finally, at some point, I said, you know what? I want to stop or at least take a break from this program and uh, maybe go learn about the body a little bit and decided I was going to go to massage school also because it looked like a great easy way to have a job that could be very flexible with a schedule around what I was trying to do in school. And I thought I was just going to take a short break from my graduate school program and go to massage school, become a massage therapist just to help pay the bills. But uh, it turned into a 30 plus year break from that. So uh, (laughs) that's, that's fascinating. I knew the brief outlines. I didn't know the detail. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you get into this? What was what was your initial starting point? Well, that's why I'm grinning because it was, you know, I got a couple different stories I tell when people ask how I get into this. But really the one that's probably truest to my heart is I was studying to be a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. a gestalt therapist at the Esalen Institute. And we were uh, strongly encouraged to go learn a body discipline too because it, it is a body-centered approach, the gestalt therapy. Right. And so yeah. once, yeah, and there I was at the Esalen Institute, which is one of the places that launched a lot of the massage and bodywork interest in the U.S. back in the 60s and 70s. And so there's a lot to choose from. 
And uh, that's what I did. I started learning some stuff and I enjoyed it so much that it became a parallel track for me. So yeah, we, we share that starting with psychology and then being interested in the body and branching out to that. Yeah, I actually worked as a psychotherapist for about 15 years. Yeah. As, as I uh, continued to practice uh, body work. Uh, see, no, I didn't know that either. That's that's fascinating too. So that we were having those again, those similar tracks earlier on. So, what was your initial, um, mas- well, not massage necessarily, because I know you were doing a lot of stuff in in other areas. What was your initial sort of manual therapy training like? What was what my was first name? manual therapy training was a cranial sacral approach, and it was I didn't realize at the time how sophisticated it was, it, and it seemed really. Uh, obscure. It was a little hard for me to get my head around at first, but once we got into it, it made a lot of sense. It was following subtle movements in the body with our touch and encouraging their uh, amplification or resolution. And it turned out that this teacher, Ryan Kuprud, who I was studying with, was in the lineage that included Ida Rolf and Fritz Smith and some other founders of work like Ida Rolf's work, Rolfing, Fritz Smith's work, Zero Balancing, as well as the cranial approach. That was my first bodywork training. I had no idea how, in some ways, how it, as sophisticated and advanced it was. Yeah. You know, that's uh, always interesting, too, as we look back at those time periods, because during those times, so much of the way um, a lot of this teaching was transmitted was through that lineage process. You know, there was really a, a lineage model of education. There weren't that many schools. There weren't that many training programs. Yeah. And so it was really important uh, who learned from whom and, you know, where did that stuff come from? And, you know, who did so-and-so study with and that person studied with so-and-so? That whole lineage model was really pervasive. And it still is to some degree a big undertone, I think, in the uh, educational realm of, of where we are, but it's it's changed quite a bit now with the the huge proliferation of training programs, schools, and other ways that people get into doing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't a curriculum back then; it was stories, and i I didn't know yeah. who these people were. I didn't know who Ida Rolf was or different stories. You know, I get I hear these things, and okay, great, that's why we're doing that. Yeah, no, you're right. It was an oral tradition, and then indoctrinated into a kind of lineage. And yeah. I tend to, I'm, I'm, I tend to leave that out of my training now. But uh, every now and then, it's fun to think back about that. Yeah, yeah. And so, as you began doing that, yeah, did you sort of, um, was there a point at which you kind of felt like you were uh, moving in the direction of more orientation towards manual therapy, or how did that kind of phase out away from doing the the psychotherapeutic work? Well, it was no, it was very much uh, a dual passion for me. And you mentioned. Uh, making the choice for body therapy because it would it could pay the bills i think that's what you said that's what yeah. it was for me too i was in i was going just back to school to continue my training as a psychotherapist but i was having bodywork clients at the moment who were helping me make ends meet so that kept yeah. it very much alive for me and it was something i loved but yeah. my yeah my continued uh, psychotherapy work and studies were very much about the body mind uh, direction you know what what happened was uh, I started traveling so much to teach that it didn't make sense to have a psychotherapy practice. And it got mm-hmm. to be the place in maybe my own uh, career where I said, I got to get good at one of these. I got to, you know, really focus on yeah. one of them. And right. uh, my chips fell with the body direction. And it's still, I'm really glad they have because I'm still loving it. 
Yeah. You know, that's fascinating. That that last thing that you said about your chips falling in that direction, because there was a point I remember that I remember this day very specifically. Actually, I was in a, a place early on in my career of trying to to get a sense of what I was supposed to be doing with all this stuff, because I was still debating, was I going to go back to graduate school and go back and finish my master's degree and start doing counseling stuff? Yeah. And I felt somewhat ambiguous about it because I was still quite drawn to what was happening in massage. And I was, I said, okay, I'm going to sit down in meditation and just be very quiet and silent and listen and see what is the message that I get about what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was really striking for me. I got this voice in my head saying over and over again to me, learn about the body, nice. learn about the body. <laughs> and I realized, okay, I guess that's my path. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And that kind of was a, a significant turning point of sending me in the direction of, of staying in the massage and bodywork field as opposed to going back to, to doing this stuff in counseling. There you go. Now that's important, yeah. just listening to that. It was. That inner you sense. Know, yeah. And I, you know, I think it was something that was aligning me more with who I am and the kinds of stuff that I'm really interested in, because it, uh, it was really shortly after that, that I began to get very interested in more of the sort of the medical, um, and healthcare applications of massage, which really was a lot more about, uh, science and research and studying a lot of stuff about biomechanics and physiology and all that kind of stuff, which took me way away from the whole psychotherapeutic, um, perspective that I had had originally. But, uh, you know, I will certainly say this over and over again. I'm so glad that's the way I got into this because it became the foundation for understanding the client therapist relationship and how incredibly powerful that part of what we do really is. Uh, and it's, it's colored my work. It's colored every bit of my work since that time as well. That's fascinating because I do think of you as a science based guy you know the tech the tech the um, technical aspects focus on orthopedic approaches that's just yeah. how i know your work so it's it's great to hear that you started in the relationship the interaction dimension yeah and, and it's something I, I don't talk about that a great deal but um you know some people are actually kind of surprised to hear that you know i did a lot of study in energy work and you know the um transpersonal psychology and all this kind of really out there stuff early oh, yeah. on. And that has really, you know, it's helped me become a more holistic practitioner to see things from a variety of different perspectives as well. Even though I recognize what I really am oriented to is more of a, a clinical and, um, you know, orthopedic perspective right now, it's still colored very much by those, those pieces of it. Because, uh, you know, I see people, uh, not conditions or clients, you know, I, I really like to see people as whole. Well, that's why I like talking to you. Yeah, yeah, I, I share that too, and it is. I mean, it turns out that the the people part of it is probably what uh, makes all the technical stuff work anyway. Yeah, right. It turns out that yeah. the background of interaction, understanding how people experience stuff, is what provides the context for a lot of this orthopedic, clinical, technical stuff we do. And I love that stuff too. Total yeah. geek in that department. But yeah. that, that provides the, again, the background of the matrix for all this stuff to be effective. Yeah. So well, tell me, what are some other like key events or teachers or ideas and turning points along your career path too that sort of either took you off on a um, diversion in some way or set, set the path for where you are now, other significant things that might have brought you there? Well, I mean, just chronologically, I... At, 
worked for several years at the Esalen Institute. I worked in the preschool there. I worked on the massage crew there. I worked on the teaching staff there. And when I got to the place that I wanted to take it further, I decided I want to go to the Rolf Institute in Boulder, Colorado, and learn Rolfing, structural integration, and got a leave of absence from my uh, preschool teacher's job and my massage crew job there, and went and studied as a Rolfer. And that was uh, deeply influential, let me put it that way. because First mm-hmm. of all, because it's a whole paradigm shift. They were essentially yeah. asking me to put aside what I knew at that point. I'd been a practicing body worker for several years at that point. Put it aside and learn that new approach. And that was a good, uh, good exercise, good discipline for me. So mm-hmm. certainly my time at the Rolf Institute, where I later got a job, Tom Myers hired me a few years later to be his assistant in a, in a program he was teaching there. I ended up uh, as the director of that part of the program for about uh, – 10 years, ended up working that program about 20 years. Mm-hmm. So th- being in that field of Rolfing, structural integration, and the work the Rolf Institute was doing was pretty formative, pretty key in terms of a lot of my influences and in th- thinking. Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, it's probably a great moment here to take a break to our halftime sponsor, Books of Discovery. So we've got a message from uh, the Trail Guide to the Body's author, Andrew Beal. So Andrew, tell us a little bit about Books of Discovery. Books of Discovery might be best known for producing Trail Guide to the Body, but we're also a whole lot more. We bring you the clinical learning tools you need to inform your intentional body work. Check out our kinesiology, pathology, and A&P texts. They not only build the foundation upon which great educators like Till and Whitney rely, but will also support you through your entire career. Books of Discovery is proud to support the thinking practitioner and are offering a 15% discount when a listener enters thinking at the booksofdiscovery.com checkout page. Enjoy the show. Yeah, big thanks to Drew and everyone at Books of Discovery. Before the break, I got to talk about some of my early training and teaching. How about you, Whitney? You have some boulder in your history too, don't you? There's uh, you know, an interesting thing about that too. This is part of a whole different story, but I was, you know, uh, had sort of grown up professionally, if we can call it that way. You know, I did my initial training down in Atlanta. Um, I was in Georgia yeah. and had moved... Um, I had actually intended to move out to Boulder because, um, you know, had perceived that area being such an incredible talent vortex. And there was so much happening in the bodywork community at that time. This was the, you know, late 80s, early 90s for me. And, you know, it was um, originally planning to go out. I wanted to become, you know, I wanted to be enmeshed in that. I wanted to be a part of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. We might have crossed paths uh, at that time had I stayed in Boulder, but, um, there's a whole another long story about why I ended up not staying in Boulder and ended up going all the way to Oregon instead. Um, so, well, uh, how did you yeah. end up going to Oregon? What happened? <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, my former wife and I had left Atlanta uh, with the idea of moving out west, going to Boulder to the to the bodywork mecca was basically the story, right. and we had no we didn't we had no money we had very few possessions everything we owned was packed into this pickup truck that we drove out there with and this little trailer behind us and we got out there and uh by the way, I lived in a teepee. I lived in a teepee the first summer I was here in Boulder. Oh, did you? Right. Yeah. Um we had packed up everything we had and we had a cat with us and we could not find an affordable place to live uh in Boulder. As you know, it's very expensive there. And we wanted to be in the heart of it. And we kept, you know, we were sitting around a hotel room after being there for several days after again having driven all the way across the country. 
Oh yeah. Just not being able to find a, a place to live and like, what are we going to do? Um, and I had been on this backpacking trip about 10 years ago or 10 years before that. This was back in the early eighties mm-hmm. and had fallen in love with the Pacific Northwest. And she said to me, well, you've always wanted to go back to Oregon. Why don't we just go to Oregon? And I was saying, I was saying you can't just like go all the way across the country with no idea where you're going and where you're heading. And she said, why not? And I couldn't come up with a good reason why not to do that. <laughs> so it wasn't working in Boulder. So we just uh, 30 minutes later got in the car and drove to Oregon. We had no idea where we were going to end up, where we were going or anything like that. So um, maybe we ended up in the, Yeah, you can. Obviously you can. So we ended up in this tiny little town on the coast of Oregon. Um, and again, just to make the long story short, I didn't look into the Oregon massage licensure law before I left because I wasn't planning to move there. And didn't realize once I got there and and had signed a lease on a place to live that I wasn't going to be able to work for over seven months because I had to wait until the next licensure test came around. Uh-huh. And so now I was really screwed because I, you know, had we gotten this place over on the coast of Oregon, this beautiful, absolutely stunningly beautiful place, tiny little house over on the Oregon coast where there's no economy of significance for a person who doesn't have a job. And I was going to you know, build a massage practice in the nearby town and it just was not going to happen because I couldn't get a license for till the next licensing period came around which was seven months later. And that actually turned into what started my education business, because at that point I was saying, you know, I've been teaching in massage schools for many years and you know, had always wished that we had more significant educational materials and I had never had time to start producing them and writing them. And I said, okay, I've been given seven months now to do this before I can get a license. I think we're just going to live off our credit cards for seven months and I'm going to start writing and producing educational materials. And that's, that's how that whole end of the business got started for me. Fascinating. So So if you couldn't practice, you could teach. Yeah. And so So, tell um, me, catch me up a little bit. What kind of uh, what have you done up to that point? You'd been to massage school. How did yeah. That, yeah. So I had been to massage school and I was um, teaching ever from the late eighties on, I was teaching in massage school and also working. And this is, this is a big part of my interest in educational materials. I, Cause I recognized after I left Atlanta, how incredibly fortunate I was. You don't often see that when you're in the middle of something, but I was in the middle of an incredible talent, what I call a talent vortex at the Atlanta School of Massage. There were just some unbelievably talented individuals there at that time. And that always spurs um, new ideas getting sort of enmeshed and percolated and brought up. And um, I lived just down the road from Emory University Medical School. And this was in the pre-internet days when if you wanted like a medical journal article, there was no going online to get it. You had to go to the library to get stuff. And so... I would go spend all my, you know, spare time that I had, which was actually quite a lot of time back then because I didn't have a lot of work. I was spending a lot of time in the Emory University Medical Library just reading stuff because I love learning and reading and studying and all this kind of stuff. And to me, it was just a gold mine. I started digging into this stuff and I said, oh my God, if the massage world knew all this stuff was here that's so pertinent to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. This could be hugely beneficial for us in doing things. So I was at the same time doing a lot of you know independent study and research on this stuff. I'd also, ironically, during that time, gone back to graduate school again, this time to study, uh, to start a ma- another master's degree in sports medicine and biomechanics. Mm. And so that was part of the whole study process as well. 
and then I uh, was teaching in massage school. So those were the things that had driven me in the direction of looking at uh, education and the world of orthopedics. I was, I got, I ended up um, getting a job with the uh, Emory University uh, Orthopedic Clinic, which was another incredibly lucky thing. This was a state-of-the-art orthopedic clinic that was affiliated with a medical school. And they were kind of innovative at this time and decided they wanted to bring massage therapy in there. And we were using massage for treating all kinds of post-surgical cases and accidents and, you know, injuries and all kinds of stuff. And we didn't know what we were doing. You know, the whole staff didn't. We were kind of like doing this a lot of experimentation, like, will massage work for this? I don't know. Let's try it. Will it work for that? Well, it didn't work there. Will it work here? And in the meantime, you know, Every minute that I wasn't working on a patient there, I was following the doctors around and the PTs around and bugging the hell out of them. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Tell me what you're doing there. What are you doing here? And so I was learning a whole lot about all these different um, clinical and orthopedic approaches. So that's that's what really set a lot of the groundwork for for the stuff that I thought needed to be brought into the massage profession. That makes a lot of sense. You had a view out into the orthopedic world, into the medical world, with your yeah. massage background and your hunger for learning, and you could build some bridges out into that. Yeah, yeah, and it, so it felt for for years, many years after that, like I want to. Ha- this has been an incredibly lucky opportunity and experience that I've had. I want to share that with as many people as possible. So that you know turned into a lot of the the work on the education side of everything to try to get some of this stuff out to as many people as possible. That's great. So that, yeah, that that connects some dots in my mind. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. So tell me like about your path during this time too. Now you're starting to do a lot more practice and teaching. You were teaching uh, around. Yep. This is in the late eighties through the nineties teaching at the Rolf Institute. And my focus there really was training uh, people from the beginning into the skills they needed as a practitioner, the touch Mm -hmm. skills, some of the anatomy, but especially the therapeutic relationship that became my focus because partly because of my psychology background and because yeah. of my personal interests, that's really where I focused. And, uh, you know, rolfers and body workers in general didn't have the best reputation at that point for really uh, nurturing that relationship along or for being sensitive to each other. And, there, and the culture was changing. There was a lot more awareness of abuse and trauma coming out. And so the time was right, the situation was right for me to really start thinking deeply about how hands-on body workers could be more effective in the body-mind realm and mm-hmm. found a forum there at the Rolf Institute to do that because Ida Rolf herself was always interested in the ways that the body informed our feeling states and our attitudes and our impressions. She focused on the physical. There were some famous quotes from her saying, of course, you know, psychology exists, but the body is what I can get my hands on. So she mm-hmm. was super yeah. practical and that's what was her focus. But uh, at the same time, you know, uh, beginning rolfers needed to understand how to have a, a fruitful conversation with their clients, some of the ethical considerations, boundaries, and also how to facilitate whatever personal transformation their uh, clients were going through from mm-hmm. within their scope of practice and within what they were doing as rolfers. So that became a great laboratory for me to work with those questions. And then yeah. parallel practice as a psychotherapist helped me make those distinctions too, I think, between, okay, when is it psychotherapy and when is it body work? And what yeah. tools from each realm can help across that divide? 
So did you, were there ever times when you were doing them both together, let's say like working in the treatment room with somebody doing work that was, you know, psychotherapeutically oriented and doing manual therapy at the same time? Oh, with them? tried everything. I mean, Esalen yeah. was the experimental, everything was tried at Esalen, you know, and so yeah. it came from that experimental milieu or that attitude. It's like, sure, let's try it. Yeah, this is cool. Let's yeah. do that too. But, yeah. but at some point, uh, not only would it sometimes me as a practitioner not be clear which map I was following, it could also be confusing for the clients. Yeah. And so it got a lot simpler perhaps just to frame it is, is this body work or is this psychotherapy? Because I had two kinds of practices. Yeah. And that cleaned it up a lot. And that actually helped me think through a lot of the scope of practice questions too in yeah. teaching and so, offering others. Let me ask another question here because this is something that I think comes up a lot in our field because we work so, uh, and I'm speaking predominantly about massage therapy um, as a field, we work in such a close, intimate way yeah. with the individuals that we are treating that things happen in the treatment room that many people are unprepared for. You know, a client may have a sudden uh, emotional reaction to some aspect of touch and begin crying or something comes up for them that is a, mm -hmm. a strong, uh, has a strong psychological element to it. And m many practitioners are really pretty unprepared for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, what do you think is... Um, really a good strategy or, or any helpful suggestions that you'd give to massage therapists in terms of, you know, what do you do in those kinds of situations? Our first how-to question. Yes. <laughs> you're asking, asking, for you're asking like it's a big doozy. We shouldn't <laughs> get off on that. <laughs> right. In, yeah. when in a sentence or two. Uh, yeah. I think it's, you know, just if I had to do this one sentence answer, maybe we can do a whole episode on it. Who knows? Maybe a whole, it's a whole yeah. series. But the quick answer is, we don't have to do anything. It's not, I mean, other than essentially keep someone company and reassure them. It's not about trying to get them to cry. It's not about trying to stop them from crying. Let's say if they start, you know, it's about helping them just feel what they feel until it runs its course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, there's like, yeah, that's know, just, go ahead. Be, that's that whole part about just being with people, I think, that um, is really what's needed from us. We don't have to get in and feel like we have to do something. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I do have some, you know, concerns about some of the practitioners or approaches or teachers that I see out there that do seem to be advocating that there's a, a process to go through to, to push people in those kinds of directions. And that always looks a, a bit troubling to me. Mm -hmm. Well, the release terminology uh, in, you know, invites that thinking. I mean, think people think yeah. of, I do myofascial techniques. People uh, think I do myofascial release and they think that has to do with other kinds of release. And that's, I think things do, relax and let go <laughs> it gets yeah. me. but I'm not trying to push for any sort of uh, expression or release certainly making yeah. room for it as part of the process for some people other people not I mean certainly it was really amazing to me that when I was practicing at Esalen most people had an emotional experience and mm -hmm. when I moved to Boulder and started practicing here only a few did and I, in my mind I was doing the same thing you know yeah but I think a lot of it in, in that case was context. I mean, people went to the Esla Institute to work on themselves, to get their feelings out. And I mean, this was like the early 80s, you know, it was yeah. about just pounding the pillows and yelling and screaming and getting it all out, this cathartic experiences. Right. And uh, in my practice in Boulder, it was more 
uh, you could say orthopedic or people come to me because their knees hurt from running or hiking or something. Yeah. And they, uh-huh. you know, never shed a tear. And that was fine too. So right. a lot of it was the context or the expectations or why people were coming. Yeah, those fascinating things do end up coloring our experiences of where we are now and how we continue to look at things. So uh, it's been good getting started on this conversation, and we'll pick up some more of this on our next episode as well. Looking forward to that. Sounds good. Before we go, let's thank our sponsor, ABMP. This episode is sponsored by ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership combines the insurance you need, the free CE you want, and the personalized service you deserve. Featuring the dynamic new five-minute muscles review app with muscle-specific palpation and technique videos, the award-winning Massage and Body Book magazine, where Whitney and I are both both frequent contributors. Yes, it is certainly easy to see why members love ABMP. I'm certainly one of them. I've been a member for years, and it's clear that this organization is driven to offer loads of key benefits to their members, and their primary focus is on delivering exceptional opportunities and services. So our listeners who join ABMP as new members can save $24 on their membership by going to www.abmp.com forward slash thinking. With ABMP, you can expect more. So yes, a big thanks to ABMP. And if you will also be sure to stop by our podcast site for show notes, information on some CE credit updates and any extras that we've got over there. And that is at thethinkingpractitioner.com. Or you can also find some additional stuff and information from us uh, from our individual sites. Until where are uh, people able to find you on the web? Yeah, our site is advanced-trainings.com, advanced-trainings.com. We're going to put the uh, transcripts there on your site and on my site too. Or you can find me on social media. It's at Tiluka, T-I-L-L-U-C-H-A-U. And those are on your site too, Whitney, right? That is correct. Yeah, so the uh, transcripts will be up there. And that is at the academyofclinicalmassage.com. You can also find me through uh, my name, Whitney Lowe, or the Academy of Clinical Massage on Facebook as well. And uh, please do send uh, your thoughts, questions, or ideas over to us. Uh, that'll give us some other uh, input about what kind of things to keep up in the show. You can uh, do that uh, by sending us a note over to, the, to info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or through either one of us on social media as well. And it's fun to get started with you on this, Whitney, and uh, to all the listeners, be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, and tell a friend. That's how the word spreads, and that's how we get the momentum we're looking for. Thanks, everybody. That sounds great. We'll see you next time. See you later.